1: Hello, welcome to episode 220 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Joining me as, as always, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. <laughs> um, is, is that Jordan? No. <laughs> Who is it?
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: I was it curious sounds like me. a, it I sounds a like name. A... I wanted a name. I thought we were going to have Stephen. I I spent quite a lot of time watching all the SNL sketches last night. Uh, I, that's not something I don't see them here, so I'm sorry, everyone, we're sidetracked for the off. But yeah. that's not something I do not- a whole lot of because I don't see them here, and some of what I see, I'm like, oh, yeah, don't know. Um, but the Zoidish Nell sketches, if you're familiar with them, I think so. Are you familiar with? Michael Sarah and the Zoe de sketches. That rings a bell. Go look it up when we're done, Jordan. You're in for a treat. Everyone listening, go look it up. It's just, it killed me. Anytime, anytime he opens his mouth, I'm just in pieces. Anyway, I don't know how that came out of Jordan. Started doing a character, essentially. I thought we were going to have a name. I thought we could extend it a little bit further, but no. As always, there's a
0: theme coming.
1: Oh, really? I don't know. Anyway, oh, no. we're, we're here to talk about shooting guards, believe it or not. Um, we're continuing our run through of the roster position by position, uh, looking back at the season that was for the books. And having covered off the point guards, we are surprisingly moving on to shooting guards on this occasion. Same deal. I'm going to run through the stats. <clears throat> You're going to hit us with a big first impression, and then we'll open it up for discussion. Tony Snell, 75 games, 27.4 minutes per game, 6.9 points, 43.5% for the field, 40.3% from deep, 79.2% from the line, 1.9 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.4 blocks, 0.5 turnovers. In the advanced stats categories, offensive rating of 108.8. Defensive rating of 108.9. Net rating listed on NBA.com slash stats as 0.0, but there is obviously a negative slant to that based on the differential they're showing between the two. So close to to neutral, but slightly shaded towards negative. Um, True shooting percentage, 57.8%. Tony Snell has been a topic of much discussion. He has become... The latest figure to inherit the the scapegoat status among books Twitter, Books fans.
0: The S is a dollar sign.
1: <laughs> what is your overwhelming opinion, feeling about Tony Snell's season?
0: Um, I know there's a lot of gripes, qualms, quibbles, <laughs> um about his season. But if you look at compared to last year it's pretty similar um just how it's flipped and how it kind of he started or he ended strong in his first year with the bucks and he you know ended or started strong with in his second year with the bucks and ended poorly uh at the end of it um but it was obviously we look at his play and just kind of he's inherited not only the the you know the scapegoat again dollar sign for the us but he's inherited kind of the Eeyore Johnny O'Brien type quality where I mean he
1: always had the potential for that
0: yes um but he's firmly owned it now especially with J.O.B. long gone um but he's also jerked around this year I think that's I think we talk about role players and that's why you know with everything Breaking Bad um this year in terms of just a lot of changes obviously the Moon to fire kid and stuff like that, but still being in and out of the lineup under kid and Joe Prunty, um, injury kind of jump started his his you know kind of inconsistencies shooting the ball, especially from three. But I think that all compounded into this into how his season bore out by the end of it, really. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily his fault. Uh, obviously he didn't wow people and he frustrated people with, um, you know, not being able to deliver that specialist role, but when things kind of break bad in terms of just, you know, when your coaches don't have confidence in you, that's, that's going to linger in your play. There's no doubt about it. We see that with every, it happens to every player, regardless of status, regardless of talents, all that stuff. It just, that's, that's key. In terms of just, you know, being able to go out there and play instantly, Um, I can understand when people, a lot of people are down on Tony Snow. I think his contract, people are going to be down about that too. But I think under Brudenholzer, there's a lot of optimism for me um, in terms of just getting back to maybe having him deliver similar numbers, but just in a more consistent way where it doesn't have to be this either-or kind of thing with how his two seasons have gone with the Bucks. I think that could be possible. Um, I think, too, honestly, there's – we talk about Giannis, we talk about Chris, we talk about Bledsoe to a lesser extent. I think a guy – Tony Snell is like the first guy that comes to mind in terms of what this coaching change can mean in terms of his future, because I think he, at minimum, he's a rotation piece. Um, He he may not be, you know, this lockdown starter, but he still serves a role. He's a three and D specialist. That's going to be key no matter what team you're on. And especially a team with, you know, a guy like Giannis. So I'm optimistic on his future, surprisingly, even after this
1: last year. I mean, if we're calling someone a role player, by definition, they're limited. Right. That's why they're a role player. Yeah. And I I think that's what Snell is. And we're all kind of aware of his limitations. And if you're going to ask a player to perform their role, they need to know their role. And that role can't just be as loosely defined as you're the guy who comes in and defends and makes three pointers for us. You know. Uh, For a guy like Snell, he needs to know, okay, when am I coming in? When am I coming out? How many minutes am I playing? Um, who am I sharing the floor with? Where are my looks coming from? All of that was in flux throughout much of this season. You know, and I, I actually think he did a respectable to good job with that considered. The fact that he shot over 40% from deep for the year was a real positive. Now, the, the cause for gripes and the legitimate cause is the hesitation we saw, the unwillingness to take the shots later in the year. That is 100% confidence. There is nothing else in that. Like, there is no other reason why a player turns down perfectly good shots. And with that, it's hard to just kind of turn in on the player and be like, oh, why isn't he shooting that? Not shooting that because he doesn't have confidence. He doesn't have confidence because of the way he's been treated by the staff. That was problematic. One of my bold predictions, I think the only one I remember from before this season, I think we did it in a round table with the staff but I predicted he'd score double digits. He'd average double digits per game on the season. I think that's really close for Snell. Still, on a year where he averaged 6.9 points per game, and that's disappointing. I mean, okay, it's obviously technically close. You're talking one more main tree per game, and you're at 9.9 points per game. I think we're right there with Snell, though. I think the books can unlock him, like so many good teams do with their shooters, and have him be a reliable player who does that and beyond that a reliable player and he does occasionally have these games where he has 15 or 16 or 17 or 18 points but where he can do that a little bit more often where instead of once every 3 months you get a game like that from Snell once a week then if the other game is a four points or a five points cuz shots just didn't fall that night you kind of live with that but i think most interesting with him is he's not even all that streaky you know, he's pretty solid if you allow him to be in a rhythm and you allow him to find a spot. He does the same things. His processes are visibly the same every time he steps to the floor. The only thing that's changing is the situation you're putting him in. I think if you give him something he can own, something he can trust in, and with a coaching staff behind him that are trusting in him, he can do a lot. And I think it's worth noting he's a guy who has a history of not necessarily getting that opportunity. He had a weird kind of history in Chicago with how he was treated and obviously he was a player who Tibbs latched onto, as I can play this young guy lots of minutes as he did with lots of people but he was never really developed it felt like as much as just put out there because he was like this ideal modern NBA body you know you're long you can switch the nature the
0: the nature of how he came to Milwaukee with you know Middleton's injury that was basically what he was just this plug-and-play option he wasn't a Michael Carter Williams that you know, can't obviously shoot. They they just needed a, a body out there, a bare minimum that could just hit threes and stuff like that. And eventually, that bore out, and he really <laughs> was any threes at the end of his first year.
1: Yeah, and I mean, with that, I think he can do it, and he could do more again. Like I'm, I'm not worried about Snell's contract at all. Really, I. me neither it doesn't bother me i don't look at it and even think for a second that's a problem i mean can you be in a spot you know it'd be great if he was paid eight million sure it'd be great if every player was paid less and you had more cap space that would be ideal but it's not a bad contract i think a lot of smart people even around the nba know that regularly that he's a guy who just has all of the right ingredients for things that every team wants those players are so valuable that it's actually good value to lock them up at that price. And even in his worst year, he shot 40.3% from the tree. And I say his worst year, it's not in any means, but in his career, his worst year, but a year that I think we didn't see coming in the kind of role that he had developed in his first season, he had grown into. I think if all of that clears up, though, the Bucks have something they can really rely on in Snell. And I think Snell is important, just like Brogdon is important, because we just don't know who the players who are sticking around are. We don't know what moves the Bucs will look to make over two, three years' span. And even if it's safe to say, oh, Chris is going to be around, Giannis is going to be around, what do they do around that? And guys like Snell, like Brogdon, like Sterling Brown, um, I mean, they stand out as three of the most obvious ones who can play a couple of positions can defend, can knock down shots. They are so valuable in that because they may one day be someone you're like, oh, that's a nice option to have off the bench. And the next day you could make a big trade that brings a new star in and changes the shape of your team. And then you're relying on them to be a key cog as a starter. And they're good options to have guys who could be really strong rotation players off the bench or guys who could be starters and give you starters minutes alongside better players. Snell fits into both of them, and he fits into both of them well. The books just need to decide which it is and give him every chance to succeed in that role. We'll move it on. Did you? I, I, think you did the Snell write-up, right? I did. Can you remember what you graded him? I have it here. You graded him a C plus. C plus. Yeah. Um. I just realized we have not been giving out grades. Well, you skipped a few. I let you away with it, but I knew you wrote that one, so. I mean, I think C plus is about fair. I think in some ways he was better and other ways he was worse. It's a tricky one. It's probably right around, yeah, he's averaged too he slightly above average is his season. Um, and there will be there are elements that were way below average and elements that were still really positive. Um you have to look, remember all the stats of his shooting heading into the or at the start of the calendar year, wasn't it? Once we yeah, crossed over was, to New Year, he was the, the leader in the NBA. In
0: true shooting percentage. He was hitting like 70%. And this wasn't just like the first three weeks. This is like...
1: No, it was like a six or seven week spell. Yeah. So, I mean, there were definitely some good things in there. Um, as much as they may have been forgotten. Okay. Let's move it on from Snell. And let's go to Jet next um oh i better i better jog my memory because i think i wrote the jet season review um we'll go through his numbers first of all jet played in 51 games this year 16 minutes per game 3.3 points on 38.3 for the field 34.8 from deep 88.9 from the free throw line with that, he had 0.9 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.3 blocks, 0.5 turnovers. To take a look at his advanced numbers, offensive rating 107.5, defensive rating of 105.8, which right up there with one of the better books of guys who were there all season played meaningful minutes. Um, Net rating of 1.8. Uh, assisted turnover ratio, 2.36. True shooting percentage, 52.5. Your impression of Jets' season, Jordan? Um, outside
0: of, you know, I think the Rappers game really comes to mind. Basically, just like this kind of three-week, four-week stretch. Uh, not what you'd hope for in a second season. Um, it kind of evened out, uh, over time, but yeah, the first couple months, and just, uh, I'm just thinking of that kid quote now, uh, of him veterans don't play until December. Oh my god, the era that we are coming out of. (laughs) Um, yeah, limited season, just kind of, yeah you know nothing nothing major nothing more um i will say i know again going into cliche mode but considering everything that happened this year i think a guy like jet really kind of normalized or uh was a calming influence among guys in the locker room i think when you even i know i just remember like when k got fired everyone was like get rid of jet he's a part of the old guard
1: (laughs) i'm just thinking like
0: i found that very
1: strange i I must say at the time and i like there are things obviously that go past that jet had basically a longer running relationship with prunty than he did the kid and there's also just an element of he's been around the league a long time so he has relationships with a lot of people you know it's it it will be hard there's most staffs in the nba where someone has probably crossed paths with jet before yeah
0: i just think it's i don't know that, that's another issue that we don't really have to go into. But uh, for the most part, it was just kind of an eh season for him. Um, filled his role, gave the leadership, all that stuff. Uh, the mentor guide, all you know, filled that perfectly. But in terms of on the court, it was just, you know, eh.
1: Yeah, uh, I I mean, he, he gave what you look for in that kind of three, four week stretch when things really started to look up. And when Prunty took over and he finally was, um, got the chance to come away from the bench, um, you saw him live up to what he had done the year before, if not necessarily in percentage. It was just in how the books performed on the court. I mean, that played out over the course of playing over 50 games, positive net rating at, at like his age. It's very, very impressive and very surprising. I mean, I could have seen him shooting better, and he did have spells where he shot better, but he started pretty poorly and it was hard to come back from. But when you look at a guy who has all those miles on the clock, I, what I wouldn't have expected is the books consistently being better than their opponents when a forty-year-old who's nearly forty-one was on the floor. You know, and that that remained a common team offensively, defensively the Bucks could get the better of their opponents with Jason Terry on the floor. Teams couldn't exploit him. That speaks volumes of him, but I think as we touched on a lot, it says a whole lot more about just his influence and his ability to tie things together on the floor better than anyone else. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think this was a really good season for him. A really good season. I graded a C and I I feel like I did the wrong thing already in hindsight on that. Because what, what do you hold against him? That he shot 34% from deep? I mean, if he shot 40% from deep again and did the other things he did, like, <laughs> the guy really wouldn't be human. We're talking about Jason Terry and he's basically 41 now. I, I think he did almost as much as you could ask of him to do. And we aren't fully aware, we're not privy to the the influence and the importance he had Behind the scenes during that time of change, and we can all describe. Oh well, he's he was close to kid, or he's close to prunty, or anything like that. The fact is, there was a young team who went through something that most of them hadn't gone through in the middle of the season, and they actually came out playing some good basketball after it. That took something from the staff, that took something from the players, and Jet was essentially one of each. Like he's talked himself about how he sits in on all the the coaching meetings and has ever since he arrived in Milwaukee. Um, It will be interesting to see if he stays around, which in itself is a question mark. But if he does, whether that would continue to be the case under Bud, you kind of feel like it would, though, because I don't know what anyone has to lose in that. I I think that is a positive on all fronts. Um, There is valid debate about whether a 41-year-old who, in some ways, is going to be obviously limited, is worthy of a roster spot, when roster spots are as valuable and important as they are. But then there were so many players in this book's roster that did less in obvious ways than Jason Terry did or gave the team less that I think you've still got to kind of feel pretty good about what he gave the team this year. I would agree. Okay. Let's keep going. Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown's rookie season 54 games played, 14.4 minutes per game, four points. 40% from the field, 35.2% from the three-point line, 87.5% from the free-throw line, 2.6 rebounds, 0.5 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.2 blocks, 0.5 turnovers. Crossing over to the advanced numbers, uh 102.8 offensive rating, 103.7 defensive rating, which is the best of any Bucks player who's played more than 11 games. And of course, as most of you listening will know, 11 is the magic number because that's how many Shabazz Muhammad played. Um, Net rating, negative 0.9. True shooting percentage, 50.3%. 54 games actually feels like a lot, considering how little we saw him early on and considering he did disappear a little bit towards the end as well. But he got a pretty significant run in his rookie season. I mean, he played more games than Jet. Um which is interesting in its own right. What's your feeling of Sterling Brown heading into year two?
0: I feel good about Sterling Brown. Um definitely some flashes here and there uh throughout his rookie season. Um obviously uh not as used as some people would like to uh or like to have seen him. Uh basically his season ended the way it started with him falling out of the rotation or not being the rotation pretty much whatsoever. Um, But I think there's something to build on uh, regardless of what he did, even though it was some inconsistencies that led to him falling out of the rotation at the end of the year. But I mean, overall I think there's definitely some tantalizing aspects of his game that I think, gives the Bucks a little bit of a different I don't know flavor look whatever you want to talk about maybe Guy Fieri Flavortown welcome to Flavortown we don't know I mean he
1: may be their best wing guard defender already is that maybe it's too soon but he's he's in the discussion anyway I mean that's that's kind of not up for debate um, he has shown that he can shoot. He just needs to make trees with greater frequency than the 35.2% that he shot. You know, he's, he's shown the ability to be much more efficient. It's just about getting to a place where that's something somewhat consistent, closer to, I mean, you don't need a whole lot more. If he gets to 37, 38% and he does that regularly, that's your good three point shooter. And you're doing more than enough to be a 3 and D guy in his position his rebounding was something that was particularly impressive throughout the year. Um, maybe kind of in terms of height, in terms of position, he might be kind of like pound for pound the book's best rebounder at any position. He's be in the mix with Giannis, I guess. I don't, I don't think there are a whole lot of books who rebound quite as well as he does. And considering he spent most of his time at the two, not even the three, that's very, very impressive for him. And, you know, I don't think we can we can't talk about Sterling Brown's rookie year without touching on the events or the stuff that has at least began to circulate and come out in recent days surrounding his January arrest and his tasing at the hands of Milwaukee PD. And At this point, I'm sure everyone listening has seen the video and read plenty about it and read Sterling's own account of the incidents and seeing all the messages of support and the re really strong, impressive statement from the books as an organization. But in a basketball sense, when we look on his season, the fact that he came out and he played that night, I believe he had a season high in rebounds that night against the Nets as well. Having had no sleep, having gone through the kind of experience he did. Um, he's mentioned in some interviews in recent days that, you know, he, his head wasn't in the right place to be able to focus. But he came out and he played and he played well. And I think overall in his rookie season, that was something that was there with Sterling Brown, just in terms, of, okay, let's get to work. Let's go let's go and take care of business. Uh, consistent level of desire and competitiveness night to night. But then in terms of his mental resolve, the fact that he was able to go through something as traumatic as that in the middle of the season and not really missing a beat, I mean, maybe if we look back now closer, we could say, actually, that is kind of where some of his production dipped off. I don't know, but it wasn't. He didn't want to make it a big deal at the time until everything reached the point we are at now. And he actually succeeded in doing that in large part because he played well and he was able to keep going with that. And we have already talked and we will talk again about the kind of the mentality and the mental strength or lack of mental strength or some of the kind of resiliency questions that are over some players on this roster. I think as a rookie, you've got a player like Sterling Brown who has shown himself to be mentally strong, physically imposing. He can really put himself about in games. We see plenty of instances of that. And he showed nice production in kind of one of the more valuable NBA roles that exists in 2018. And with all of that, it's it really is an overwhelmingly positive picture for him to begin with, and now it's all about where he can take that from here.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, yeah, that it is. I don't know. It's it's incredible that he was able to play that night of the incident. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's mind blowing. I would have. I mean, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, just to think to have something like that occur in your rookie season, no less, too, and trying to juggle still acclimating to the NBA and all the things that come with that. And then something as just, you know, horrifying and traumatizing as an incident like that can happen. I mean, there's not that's that's something that's something else for a lot of people to deal with and the fact that you know he was able to keep everything strong um again maybe that was you know we could play that game of like oh maybe that's where we saw things drop off I don't know it's just such a it's been a bizarre few days to see it well actually not really bizarre because this has been you know a normal occurrence unfortunately through other circumstances but it's just been to see it everything uh come out in the last few days when you know i remember reactions about that and seeing you know just how it wasn't really explained or anything like that it was just a weird situation the night when it happened um but anyway um yeah i think I don't know. There's there's certainly like the qualities like just him kind of like the game, like that Warriors game in Milwaukee, where he's kind of hounding Klay Thompson for just a little stretch there. Or just, you know, kind of as he's a bulldog, man. He's really he he doesn't get he doesn't take guff. He's a no guff man. Um uh that's that's something that we like. We saw that with a little bit of Teatra Liggins, which I'm sure a lot of people are getting PTSD. Um, did, we, did we really? I don't I don't there were a couple incidents with leggings before everything fell through the roof and into the basement.
1: There I, were he was... not with the same kind of no attitude but, that the brown can bring though, not with the same intensity. Like there there is something and there was some fiery,
0: fiery ligands. I know I'm using the word fire because ligands is associated with kid and
1: fire kid. I vaguely remember in the Mecca game there being an incident involving ligands. That's there was
0: one. There was, it was the Portland game when he was on like Lillard or McCollum, and he I I saw him he punched the fists through the air. <laughs> That's a, that's a fiery moment.
1: <laughs> not as fiery as like when you started with he punched. I was going, wow, what can I not remember? Um, the, Brown's interesting in that regard, though, because if we think of the personality of the team, and we've talked about this in the past, they don't have many guys like that. No. And there is this balance of you want someone like that and you don't want it to tip over too far. Brown's shown himself to be remarkably professional and poised. And I think that's when you talk about it, it's been strange in the last few days. And as you write, you kind of walk back some elements of it are unfortunately not very strange or much more common than they should be. But the other side of that is that, you know, his response, his, the way he's handled the whole situation has really been exemplary. And for all of the horrible things that have happened to him as a part of it, and that everyone wished hadn't happened to him, it's very difficult for anyone to come out of it and kind of pin anything negative against Sterling Brown because he's handled everything as he should. He's really kind of been an example of dealing with things in the right way. And now he's reaching a point where he is going to speak out and he has spoken out and he's going to fight for what he feels is not just right, but an opportunity he has as someone of influence, someone with a certain level of status to continue shining a light on a bigger problem. But with that that level of professionalism and poise he showed, it's kind of reminiscent of a lot of what we've seen throughout the season. You've got the mixture of, you know, Sterling Brown, who is a fiery character, and yet he knows how to channel that. And for someone who's a rookie, okay, he he was a senior at SMU, right? He did a full term at SMU. So we're not having a a very inexperienced guy by any means, but still when you arrive in the NBA to not back down against higher profile, still bigger guys, um, very experienced professionals that take something. And yet it's that ability to also, you know, total line when it's needed that we've seen from, there's not a lot, to really feel anything other than positive about starting Brown, and I think as we've alluded to in recent podcasts, one of the biggest things now is he seems like the kind of player who's just tailor made, perfect for Budenholzer and his staff to get to work on developing. And he's the kind of guy where if you can add some extra extra wrinkles to his game, you can make him into that more consistent three point shooter. You've got a starting piece all of a sudden, you know. I, I. I think he could end up a starter by the end of next season. doesn't mean he has to, but I think he could. And I think they're not that far off being able to develop him to the point where it's not just, oh, well, he's starting. It's This guy's a really good and really valuable starter who can cause teams problems on both ends of the floor. And again, considering where he was picked second round, that's real value for the Bucks. Um If only they could just make all their picks in the second round, Jordan. Yes. Have you got anything else on Sterling Brown or what are you what are you looking forward to or hoping to see out of him under Bud and his staff?
0: Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, I don't wanna put the cart before the horse and call it a cart horse. But uh I'm very excited for what Sterling Brown what what can be unleashed with Sterling Brown under Mike Boonholzer. There's obviously Obviously, been a lot of talk about Hoxie University and the, you know, guys like uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., DeWire Carroll, Kent Bazemore, sure I'm probably missing a few other. I mean, Kyle Korver's in there, even though he's more of a, he was more of a veteran-minded uh, player, but still, um, having a player of Brown's kind of two-way potential. Um, I think I think he could really flourish under Mike Brunel. I don't know what to degree in a second season, but I think I think there's there's something to work with there for good old Mike.
1: Something that we didn't really see, but I think is interesting going forward. When when you get all this talk about you know Giannis at center lineups and they notably didn't work all that well this year. I think there's a very different version of them to what we've seen that could work really, really well, and that's one where you have Yanis at the five, maybe you play Middleton at the four, and then you also add in Sterling Brown, Tony Snell, Malcolm (laughs) Brogdon at a point guard, where you're really bringing out the length, but you're doing it in guys who are... (laughs) You're... You're quite maniacally enjoying this idea but that you could go with guys who all four of the other guys are you know high 30s if not 40% three-point shooters and all good defenders too I think that's a version of that sort of lineup that's most interesting to me where often when we saw them we saw with Jabari which takes something away from that or you see it with Bledsoe and his shooting takes something away from that the books do have options where you know, they can really channel their length in the most positive way possible while giving shooting and defense with Giannis to five. And I think if if Bullard was ever to explore that or really lean into it, I think Sterling in those kind of lineups with Middleton, with Snell, you know, with Brogdon, they, they are lineups where you can literally switch everything. And I think that's another interesting element for what can come next or where Sterling Brown's potential brings him because he gives you that kind of versatility. He gives you options where, you can play around with different lineups and possibly find something of your own that's, you know, an ace up the sleeve. Something you can break out when you need it most. Anything on that, considering the sound effects? um,
0: I, I don't know. All I have in my head is the everything GIF by Gary Oldman. Like, he I just said it like he made the GIF. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mike Def.
1: I'm Gary Oldman. We should probably very briefly just remind everyone that, okay, we've talked with the three main guys who played minutes of shooting guard this season. They weren't the only ones, though. DeAndre Liggins has already got a mention. Rashad Vaughn, Sean Patrick, uh-huh. Xavier Munford. Um. I think Kilpatrick is kind of good and the books could have made more of him and, you know, probably should have kept them instead of Brandon Jennings at that point in the season. But hey, outside of that, I mean, Mumford never really got a chance. Nope. Liggins and Vaughn. Hey, L- Liggins, Liggins did some really good things early on. I'm glad that you brought yes. up Liggins in a positive light because Liggins, the impact he was making defensively at the start of the season was very real i know we all ended up in a place where that went away and (laughs) it was uh very much a negative but in terms of deflections and basically all of the hustle defensive plays there was a while and i definitely wrote about a time where liggins was like top 10 in all of them um and that was pretty incredible and pretty significant and of course it didn't hold up as a result but yeah um r.i.p big rig i think we both agree that the books need to add something at shooting guard over the next couple of years maybe something a little bit more dynamic right yes yes
0: i think yes i agree
1: it's, it's, it's what, it feels like one time. of the one of the greater positions or roles of need to me is a is a skilled and dynamic wing who can just break out something a little bit different that like they have a nice, they have a nice shape of tree and D guys and they're incredibly valuable and you can never have too many of them. But at the same time, you could also do maybe one guy, two guys who can just break out of things and find their own shots, be able to score. And I think a shooting guard. That's the position where maybe they could use that. Yeah.
0: Just a little more dynamism. Dynamism.
1: its a fun word to say. Um, Yeah. All right. I think that about does it for us for shooting guards, Jordan. We will be back in a couple of days to talk about some more books, believe it or not. We'll be reviewing the contributions of small forwards throughout the season. In the meantime... Make sure you subscribe to Snapple Podcast, on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and Favre's and TuneIn Radio to make sure that you catch that episode, the episode after that, all of our Win in Six podcasting. You can also read mine, Jordan, the rest of the team's work at BehindTheBookPass.com. Um, we have written season reviews that can kind of match up with all these players if you want even deeper dives into them individually. We also have all of our draft coverage, everything else books related you could need. That is it for us for now. As always, thanks to you for listening. Thank you, Jordan.
0: Thank you.